Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? So glad that you're here with us this weekend. Hey, if you're new, we, we are especially glad that you're here. Thanks for just trusting us, showing up here today. So awesome to have you with the Central family. Hey, does anybody have a sleepwalker in their household? Uh, we, we have a sleepwalker in our household, and it's, it's really a scary thing. It's a dangerous thing. Our, my oldest daughter, Avery, she has been a sleepwalker ever since she was like five years old. And the reason it's scary, the reason it's dangerous is because all of a sudden in the middle of the night, she won't make a noise, but she'll just be standing over my bed. And it's like just her presence being there wakes me up and I just see the silhouette of someone and you feel like reacting and jumping at them, but then you realize it's your daughter and I'll ask Avery, what's going on? Like, what, what's the matter? And she'll just stare, just a zombie stare at me. I'm like, babe, what, what do you need? Staring. And it takes me like a minute to realize, oh, she's sleeping. So I'll pick her up, I'll go lay her back in bed. She has no idea the next morning that she even did it. One time it was so scary because she went out the front door while sleepwalking, which thank goodness we have an alarm system that woke me up because I, you know, I'm amped up. I'm thinking some intruder just broke into the house. I'm, I'm all, my adrenaline's going. I come, I bust out the, the bedroom door. I'm ready to attack. I'm ready to fight someone to protect the family. And in around the corner comes Avery. Same zombie stare. I'm like, did you go out the front door? Nothing. Babe, what are you doing? Why did you go out the front door? Nothing. Are you sleeping? Finally something. She goes, maybe. <laughs> Pick her up, put her back in bed. Next morning, she has no idea. Again, it's scary. It's dangerous. And although sleepwalking in the middle of the night can be scary, it can be dangerous, I think even more frightening, even more dangerous than that is sleepwalking in our faith. And many of us do this every day and we don't even know it. We're unaware. We're just drifting through life, completely checked out, totally numb. It's just this zombie stare. Now we may put on a, on a show, we might try to show that our faith is vibrant, it's awake, but inside we know that we're asleep. We've become bored, we've become indifferent. We're not challenging ourselves anymore. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we start to feel over-challenged, we feel overwhelmed, and we feel like shutting down because we're discouraged that we can't keep up. We just don't even feel like trying anymore. Everybody else seems to make it look easy. Why is it so hard for me? We've lost the passion for the race we're in. Well, today we're concluding the series called Keep the Faith That We've Been In, and we've been looking at unlikely heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11, and ways that we can take their examples of faith and we can implement them in our own lives. And all the men and women of faith that we've examined, all of them have been unlikely heroes. Many of them have been followers before they became leaders, or they've been civilians before they were warriors. Almost all of them ordinary before they became extraordinary. But for all the heroes of faith we've looked at, the, their examples to motivate us to grow in our faith, They've all challenged us. They, they've all given us an example to look to, but Hebrews chapter 11 is the crescendo of the whole idea. The, or the crescendo of the whole idea comes from Hebrews chapter 12. 
So the very essence of Hebrews 11 is wrapped up in the first couple verses of chapter 12. And in this new chapter, it not only completes the series we've been in, but it completes the very thought process of Hebrews 11. These verses, they gave us the the ultimate grand finale of faith that we should look to, that we should aspire to be like. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. When we get to the red word, say that out loud with us, but it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews, he puts us in a race. And this race is called life. And Hebrews is talking about this great crowd of witnesses, all the heroes, heroes of faith that we saw in Hebrews 11, that they can inspire us, that they can teach us. But now the author's saying that we're in the race. You and I are in the race. The baton has been handed to us. It's our turn to run. And we're given the ultimate example of faith to look to. And to describe this example, Hebrews uses the word better 13 times. We have something better to look forward to. We have something better as an example to look at than all those heroes of faith had in their race. And that's something better. The person we look to is the example of Jesus. Jesus Christ is without doubt the most inspirational personality that has ever lived. And he only taught for three and a half years. I mean, think about that, three and a half years, yet he changed the world more than anybody else. He didn't write any books, but thousands of books have been written about him, enough to fill libraries. He's the the subject of the Bible from cover to cover, the main focus from Old Testament to New Testament. He didn't have any army, but he made history and shaped nation. He didn't have worldly power, but he spoke with God's power and authority. He performed miracles that astonished his friends and his enemies. The Encyclopedia Britannica, it talks about Jesus. And if you're a Gen Zer in the room, an encyclopedia is the series of books. We didn't have Google back in the old days. We had to Go look up, you know, in the index, a subject, go to the right book, go to the right page. No search boxes, no thousands of documents. But the Encyclopedia Britannica, it describes Jesus in more than 20,000 words. That's more than Caesar, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Buddha, Cicero, Muhammad, Confucius, all of them put together. He shed more light on things that are human and divine than all the philosophers and all the scholars combined. And Jesus redefined what it meant to be a hero. In in the ancient days, a hero was someone who had power. They were in a position of power, and then they would hurt others with their strength. Your Caesars were seen as heroes. Your pharaohs were seen as heroes. But when Jesus showed up, he taught us that hero is someone who serves and loves others. He said in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, which he did redefining the word hero. That's why today we see heroes as those who sacrifice, like your firefighter running into a burning building. 
your police officer that puts his life on the line, her life on the line between a victim and, and danger. A doctor that serves an under-resourced community at no charge. Jesus redefined what it meant to be a hero. And he was also the perfect embodiment of faith for all of us. He's the ultimate model of what God can achieve in his people by faith. So we look to Jesus as our hero and our guide. And the author of Hebrews, he reveals to us three simple steps in order to do so. And the first one we get in the first part of that verse is to take anything off that's holding us back, to set down any extra baggage, to take off the weight, drop the weight. I don't know if you've ever seen these videos that have been going around social media. They're these run videos where someone's jump scared. They could be walking through kind of like a, a, an isolated place, like a parking garage all alone. Something jump scares them and they have a moment where they can choose fight or flight. They choose flight, they choose to run and they drop this incredible soundtrack over it. It makes it funny. I have a couple of my favorite examples right here. Run. Run. I love that you can leave everything except what it looks like pizza boxes. He went back for the pizza. But when something scares us, when it's fight or flight, and we choose flight, we choose to run, we'll drop everything that gives us that extra running advantage. Well, except maybe the pizza, but we'll drop everything else. If we're carrying any extra weight, we'll strip it off, we'll drop it because we know that gives us the better advantage. We're gonna run faster and further without carrying anything extra. Well, that's exactly what the, the author of Hebrews 12.1 is saying. Let, let's look at it again, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every what? Weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So Hebrews is giving us this example of a runner taking everything off but the bare essentials to run this race. Because runners know in order to have endurance to finish the race, they need the least amount of weight on them to do so. They don't wanna carry any unnecessary weight. And for you and I, and, and this race of life that we're in, the, this race with, with faith, there can be different weights that slow us down. There can be different weights that we carry that hold us back, and we might not even realize that they're weights. I have a couple of common examples here. The, the first weight that we can carry is toxic relationships. These are people in our lives who can hold us back from running the race God set before us. They might be cynical, they might be critical of our faith, maybe they're unwilling to support our values to join us in worship and these relationships over time, they can drag us down, they can keep us from growing in Jesus. But we don't have to let them. We do have a choice, we can speak truth and love and ask for respect and understanding. They, they don't have to believe what we believe but just respect us enough, respect our beliefs. Or if necessary, if it comes to it, we can distance ourselves from those who hinder us. We can start to surround ourselves with those who encourage us. 
But we have to be honest. Is this relationship toxic and is it a weight in my life? And if so, is it a weight that I need to drop and do what's best for my faith? Another weight that we can carry is the weight of ambition. Sometimes we can let our own ambition distract us from our true purpose. We work so hard to achieve success, to to achieve recognition in our career. And we never stop hustling. We grind, we grind, we hustle, we go. But we have no balance in our life. We sacrifice our time with God, our time with his people. And we sacrifice it for our work. And then we justify this as a, as a noble cause. The culture around us applauds it. Like, oh, they're grinding. They're, sac- they're, they're, they're sacrificing everything for their job. They're succeeding. I, I just look at them. They're so successful. But what we end up doing is we want to be our own providers. We want to provide for ourselves. And what we do is we end up losing our connection with God, that he's our ultimate provider. So we need to be wise, we need to set boundaries when we see this happening. We need to learn when it's appropriate to say no to some things so that we can say yes to the right things. And maybe it's just as simple as leaving work on time, not putting in those extra hours. They they say that no one gets to the end of their life and on their deathbed they go, oh, I just, I wish I would have put a few more hours in the office. Like, I wish I would have just given work a little more of my time, a little more days. No, no one says that. We need to learn when to say no to the things that keep us from saying yes to staying strong in our faith. Another weight that we carry, and it's a heavy weight, it's the weight of guilt. And the reason this weight's so heavy is because it makes us dislike ourselves. It can even make us hate ourselves. It prevents us from serving God with joy. And this is a heavy weight that God does not want us to carry. And we can be free from this weight because Jesus, he already took this weight upon himself. When he died on the cross, he forgave us. He made our past new. He forgave our past. We're a new creation. He took our sins. That means we can pray whenever we feel guilty, whenever we feel we have that weight, and we can give it to God. We can ask him to take it because of Jesus. In fact, a prayer that I like to pray, it comes from, comes from Psalm 51, verses seven and eight. You, anytime you're feeling this weight, you can go and pray this prayer. It says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my what? My joy. Give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. God, let me be happy again. Don't let your past sins steal your future joy. Confess them. Surrender them to God. Move on without regret. So we can drop the weight of guilt. And then another weight we all carry is sin. Sin is a weight that slows us down. Hebrews 12.1 talks about this sin that easily trips us up. Now, this is not the same as our past sins, our our past mistakes. This is stuff that we're tempted by right now. The stuff we know is wrong and we might be tempted by today, later today. Maybe we were tempted this morning. The stuff that keeps us from running the race that God's put in front of us. And then it feels like we're just in this cycle that we can't ever get out of, like ever. 
We just go, I, I don't know if you found yourself doing this, but it, it feels like sometimes when I'm praying and I'm confessing my sins, I'm praying and confessing the same sins over and over. And I'm almost embarrassed by it when I'm talking to God, like, God, why can't I get out of this cycle? But there is a way to get out of the cycle of sin. We can pray that God sends us his spirit, his helper, to not only convict us, but then also to help us resist, to resist that temptation, to resist that sin. So we need to listen to his voice in those moments. We need to pray, ask for God's protection, ask for his strength when it comes to resisting these sins. But another way we can get rid of this weight is by having people in our lives who can keep us accountable. Someone who trusts us, someone who shares our faith, someone who can lovingly challenge us to avoid the sin that's tripping us up. Now I know that accountability can have its negative connotations. There's been people who have abused accountability. Maybe you've had somebody abuse accountability in your own life. But positive accountability, that's essential to us staying free. It's essential to us setting down that weight of sin that easily tempts us. There's this poem called Autobiography in Five Chapters and I feel like it perfectly summarizes this idea. It says chapter one, I walk down the street there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in it again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see that it's there, I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open, I know where I am, it is my fault, I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. <laughs> this, It's the perfect analogy to what we all go through when it comes to the sin that easily entangles us, that it becomes a habit that we can't break free of, but with God's power, he can help us walk down a new street. And if I could offer a chapter six, it would say, I have a friend who walks with me down the new street, making sure I never go back to the old street, because that is what we all need. We all need accountability. We all need people who know our weaknesses. They know our temptations. They're gonna do their best in love to keep us away from that sin, to keep us away from those temptations. Or at least make sure we don't go back to the road or the street where we could stumble and fall in that hole again. So let's throw off every weight that slows us down. Whether it's toxic relationships, ambitions, Guilt about our, our past or our present sins that entangle us. Hebrew 12.1 tells us to get rid of them, toss them off, put them to the side, don't pick them back up again. And we have to do that. We have to do that if we're gonna do the next part that Hebrews 12 is asking us to do, which is to run with endurance. We've all been probably told how we can work out, lose weight, get in shape, how we can do this better probably about a thousand times in our lives in some sort of format, right? I feel like I'm always being told that I'm just doing it wrong. 
At one point it was like do cardio and don't lift. Now it's lift and don't do cardio. At one point it was do more weight, less reps. And then it was do less weight, more reps. I just feel like I'm always doing it wrong. And one of the strategies, one of the, one of the tactics is this, this tactic called time under tension. Which time under tension when you're lifting, it refers to the amount of time a muscle is held under tension or strain during an exercise set. So instead of your traditional one, two, three, four, you still do reps, but you try to hold them as long as you can. So you're going more one, two, which I, I hate this because I can only do like a couple reps. I feel so unsuccessful, I, like I did nothing, but yeah, I can't brush my teeth the next morning. I'm like, I did two reps. It's hard, but the idea is that this forces your muscles to work harder. It, it optimizes muscular strength and growth and endurance, and then the longer you can keep your muscles under that tension, the stronger you're gonna get. Well, the Bible tells us in the second part of Hebrews 12.1, it tells us this. It says, let us run with what? Endurance. Let us run with endurance, the race God has set before us. Now, endurance here, it, it means perseverance. It means Patience, but it also means more than that. It means to stand firm under the burden of something, to resist the force or pressure of something. The author of Hebrews is saying, run with endurance, implying that we will face challenges. We will have things that try to push us down. So we look to Jesus as our model of perseverance, of patience, of endurance. Now, the author of Hebrews, he's originally writing to a group of people who are tempted to abandon their faith. It's getting hard for them. They want to quit. So he's telling them, endure. In fact, he says endure four times in just seven verses because they feel like giving up. They, they feel like throwing in the towel. They feel like quitting. They're done. It's getting hard. They want to walk away. And some of us, we can feel like that, right? Right? Maybe you're here today and you feel like that, that we just can't handle the difficulties. We feel like quitting. And Jesus, he knew that this would happen. He warns us in Matthew 13 that if we don't endure, if we don't grow deep roots, that we're going to fall away from our faith the second that we have problems. So although living a life following Jesus, it's full of fruits, it's full of blessing, it's also hard. It isn't easy. Yes, you get peace, you get joy, you get patience, you get understanding, you get purpose. But you also get trials. You get troubles and tests. It can be hard and you're gonna need endurance to get through it. And when it comes to hardships, the only way to develop endurance is to go through those hardships to experience them, to experience that time under tension. Paul tells us in Romans 5.3, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems. We can rejoice, we can find joy when we run into problems and trials, for they know, for we know, that they help us develop what? Endurance. Endurance. So don't be discouraged if you face problems. If you encounter suffering, tribulation, you're strengthening your endurance. So when it feels like your financial world's a mess, 
See that as an opportunity to strengthen your endurance. If a job or, or a career doesn't work out, you have to change careers. See that as a chance to build up your endurance. If you struggle with a health issue, with a, a physical limitation, see that as a way to exercise your endurance. If you have a family conflict, if you experience a loss, maybe you can see that as a time to grow your endurance. If you face rejection or criticism, you can see that as a chance to demonstrate your endurance. Life is gonna have its challenges, but listen, endurance is more than just surviving our struggles. It's turning our struggles into victories. The life of faith, it's a marathon. It's about distance. It's not a sprint. And so when we start following Jesus, we have to be ready for some challenges. And don't get hard on yourself. When it seems like everyone's faster than you, they can go further than you, seems like they're stronger than you, you just find your pace. Keep going. Don't quit. It might be a slow process, but quitting's not going to speed it up. Run the race God's put in front of you. Run it with endurance, the race that he set for you. <laughs> then the way we keep that endurance, we keep it by fixing our eyes on the finish line. There's this story uh, of a man uh, named Douglas Mawson who was an Australian explorer and geologist. He led a team to this remote part of Antarctica and it was the month of November, he and two friends, they left their base camp with 12 dogs, two sleds, and enough food for about three months. And they faced a brutal journey. They battled blizzards, crevices, extreme cold, and then tragedy struck. One of Douglas's friends plunged into a deep hole with most of the food and with most of their gear. Douglas and his friend, they were 300 miles from their base camp and they were left with just six dogs, one sled, and just a little bit of that food. And they decided that their best chance of survival was to turn back and to reach base camp before all their food ran out. They had to ration their supplies. They had to be careful with, with the food. And on the journey back, the dogs that pulled the sleds from malnutrition, they ended up dying. Douglas's friend Mertz, he became seriously ill and delirious. He also died, leaving Douglas alone in the wilderness. He took a day to bury his friend and then continued his trek, now dragging his sled all by himself. Through the freezing cold snow and along his journey, he kept running into danger. He fell into several crevices. Once he dangled by a rope attached to his sled for hours before he had the strength to climb out. And through all this, he suffered frostbite, starvation, dehydration, exhaustion. He lost most of his fingernails, most of his toenails. He hallucinated, he talked to himself. He wrote in his diary, it seems like I'm always repeating in my head, must go on, must make haste, must make haste, must go on. And on February 12th, after 90 days in the snow, freezing, starving, thirsty, Douglas was finally found by a rescue team. He was frail, he was thin, he was broken, but he was alive. And when he got home, they asked him how he did it, how he survived such horror and survived such pain for so long. And Douglas pulled out a picture from his pocket 
It was a picture of his fiance, and he held it up and he said this. This, this is what I kept looking at. This is what gave me a purpose and a reason to go on. I kept looking at this. Douglas kept his eyes on a picture of love. Someone that he loved, on someone who loved him. And when it comes to our journey of faith, as hard as it can get sometimes, we too have someone who loves us, that we can make our motivation to keep pushing forward. We're given a picture of love to be that motivation. A picture in the easy times, but especially in the hard times. In Hebrews 12, two through three, it tells us how we can keep going, how we can keep that endurance. It says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the what? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Don't miss that. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He disregarded its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We run with endurance by fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's not only how we're saved, he's our motivation to run. And experienced runners, they know that when you run, you look forward. You don't look side to side, you don't look down, you don't look anywhere else. There's the possibility that if you do, you might trip. So you look ahead, you look where you're going. Yet when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our race in life that we're in, some of us, we either forget or, or we don't know that we're supposed to look forward. That's we're supposed to look at the finish line. And what we do is we end up looking at our own feet. We're so preoccupied with ourselves, like am I doing this right? Am I headed where I need to see myself headed? It, it's all about me, why doesn't the world know it's all about me? Why does everybody seem to forget it's all about me? Or other, others of us, we look at the grandstands. We're so concerned about what others think. Are they making fun of how I'm running? Do they like me? Am I still accepted by them? Or maybe we're looking side to side at the person running next to us. We're comparing our pace to theirs. Like, well, at least I'm faster than them. They're slow, so I've got a better pace than them. But over here, oh gosh, they're so much faster than me. They make that look easy. They have a better running outfit than I do. How do I get that? Listen, when it comes to our faith, the way we know we're running the race correctly, the way we know that we're running it with our heads up, focused where it needs to be, is we end every day asking this question, did I please God today? That one question, did I please God today? It makes it super simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. We don't have to overthink it. When we get to the end of our day, we're not worried about was it a good day for me? Was it a bad day for me? Did this day bring all that I would hope that it would bring? We don't have to worry about what others think. Are they talking badly about me? Are they laughing at me? Are they making fun of me? No, all we ask, did I please God today? We keep our eyes on the prize. We focus on the finish line. Because beyond that finish line, there awaits a champion. There stands a hero of faith who loves us more than we can imagine, who gave his life for us in the most unimaginable way. And Jesus knew this life would be hard. It was hard for him beyond measure. He even warns us in John 15, if the world is against me, don't be shocked if they're against you too. 
And think of everything that he had to endure. He had to face a hostile crowd when they wanted nothing but his death. He had to face a cancel culture before cancel culture was a trend. They wanted to cancel him completely. They wanted to end his life, end his ministry, completely destroy him. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was flogged as close to death as one can get. Rattling his bones, exposing his muscles and his organs. He was forced, a crown of thorn was forced on his head. And with his broken body, the beam of the cross was put on his shoulders. He was forced to carry it a long way. And once up that hill, he was nailed to that cross in the most excruciating way. And when they hoisted that cross up, he was gasping for air. He was thirsty. He was naked. He was beaten. And he did all of that. He went through all of that and more, but still was able to find joy. So we drop the weight because Jesus already took on that weight. He took on our sin. He took on our guilt. He took on our shame. He carried it all the way to the cross. And we can run with endurance because Jesus showed us the ultimate example of endurance. He endured hostility from those who should have welcomed him. He endured betrayal from those who should have loved him. He endured beatings from those who should have honored him. And he endured Calvary from those who should have worshiped him. And through it all, all that pain, all that suffering, he was able to find joy. That verse says the joy awaiting him is deferred joy. How do you go through all of that and still find joy? It's because Jesus focused on the finish line. He set the example that we can endure anything and we can find joy while we're doing it if we're focused on that finish line. And for Jesus... The reason he chose to run the race in the first place because he didn't have to come down to earth. He didn't have to live that earthly life. He wasn't forced to do so, but he saw the finish line. And on the other side of that finish line, the reason he was able to endure it all, the reason he was able to find joy was you. It was you. He knew that when he hit that tape, conquering death, raising from the grave, that at that finish line, the trophy he would get is your salvation. That's where he put his focus. That's where he found his joy. That's how he was able to endure all of that. The joy of putting you back together. Joy of putting me back together. The joy of offering us a rescue. The joy of being able to present you to God the Father as a trophy of salvation. That was his joy. That's what he looked forward to. You, you were the picture that he kept looking at to endure it all. He looked at the finish line and saw you. Can you do the same for him? Can you look at the finish line and see him? Now anything in life that's hard to do has to have some payoff, otherwise we won't do it. It's where you get the term deferred joy. Without some sort of deferred joy, we won't make it. We're gonna throw in the towel, we're gonna quit. We have to learn to put something before us to motivate us. In Hebrews 12, it's telling us make that something, make that motivation, that finish line, Jesus. Picture Jesus, see Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time. You haven't taken a step of faith putting Jesus on the other side of your finish line. 
You didn't know that there's someone that loves you so much that he endured all that he endured for you. That he did it all focused on your salvation and maybe now you're ready to put him at the end of your finish line, to make him your motivation, to see him walk this journey, this life with you, to help you face those hardships. And if that's you, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So if I could have everybody bow their heads, close their eyes. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, just pray this prayer after me. Pray, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. But Jesus paid the price for that sin, offering me salvation. So I wanna name Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me face whatever trials, whatever troubles, whatever obstacles I might be up against. God, I see Jesus at at my finish line. He's my motivation. Giving me the opportunity to spend eternity with you. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time with every head bowed, every eye closed, just with me, an act of courage, if you just raise your hand in the air, just declare before God, declare before me that you're gonna trust him, you're gonna follow him, you're gonna put your faith in him, that you're gonna make him the end of your finish line. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for that faith. God, all the hands reaching out to you, I lift them up right now. Draw close to them, Father. Take the weight from them. Give them endurance to run the race and remind them that you're at their finish line. Eternity with you is at their finish line. And I pray that for all of us, Father. Let us not forget when life gets hard that we can continue to look to you that you'll pull us through. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.